You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill. So glad all of you can join us live. For those of you who are watching at home, thank you for inviting us to your home. I want to give a shout out to uh, Sarah Lynn Bland, who had an emergency appendectomy this weekend, and she's watching at home, so we're just going to be praying for you, Sarah. She normally sits right there in the back in the corner. She's one of those people that gets here early to sit furthest away, um, <laughs> but uh, actually she serves on our connection team. And so just want to say, we're praying for you, Sarah Lynn, and hope that uh, God gives you a speedy recovery. Um, one of the things that we're experiencing at Scotts Hill is continued growth. And this service particularly, we put 40 additional chairs out to accommodate everyone in this room. And with those 40 chairs, we are still tight and we know that we're running out of space. Um, it's not an uncommon thing for us to have to turn some people away as we've done a couple of weeks ago. And that is never acceptable to me I don't want to ever turn anybody away. So we have some opportunities, particularly with those who are in this hour that you can help us out with. Now, I know that you chose this hour because you like the time. Some of you chose hour because you've got a class before this worship service, so you go to class and you come here, and that makes sense. Some of you chose this hour because your children are in a ministry delivery right now. You're here, they're there, then afterwards you gather together and you beat everyone to lunch. And so you have that privilege of doing that, and we know that that's a positive thing. But here's what I'm asking. If there's any way possible that any of you can move to the 11 o'clock service and particularly to the Crosspoint Center service because we're experiencing the same thing at the 11 o'clock as we are here, not to the same degree, but we need space in both places. So I'm just asking you, and you're gonna hear me say this for the next several weeks, if you can possibly make a shift to 11 o'clock, go to the Cross Point Center. We have quality ministry deliveries at 11 as well as at 9.15 for children. So you won't miss anything by that. But at the Cross Point Center does have refreshments. That does have snacks. Everything's live in the Cross Point Center except for my preaching, and we're gonna going to alleviate that by me going there at least once a month to be able to preach live at the Cross Point Center. So we have these opportunities. Pray about that and see how the Lord may lead you in that to help us in this time. Well, um, growing up, um, I experienced, like many of you, Saturdays and Saturday morning cartoons. How many of you remember Saturday morning cartoons? Yeah. It was a huge thing. And for those of us my age and a little younger or older, we only had three channels to choose from. And so we had a limited number of cartoons. And some of the favorite cartoons that I love was like the Pink Panther. I love the Flintstones, the Jetsons, you know, the Roadrunner, those kinds of things. And those cartoons were always filled with all kinds of activities activity, weren't they? There was all kind of near-death experiences, and of course, they never die in the cartoons. And so they were kind of hyped up and high energy. But there was one cartoon that was different than all of those. This cartoon had a certain calmness to it. This cartoon had a certain settledness to it. And when you watch it, you didn't feel all hyped up. You felt kind of soothed. And that cartoon, you remember, was Winnie the Pooh. And you remember Winnie the Pooh. 
And Winnie the Pooh was one of those cartoons where all the characters are taking place in the 100-acre wood, and Christopher Robin is the little boy that meets them. But in that, these are the main characters of Winnie the Pooh. And of course, there's Winnie the Pooh, who's a star. He is the easygoing, nothing bothers him, just give me honey and a nap kind of person. That's all he wants. He's not concerned about any of the issues in life. He is just enjoying life as it comes. And then there's Piglet. Piglet was very anxious, you remember? She was always bothered, and one of her favorite phrases was, oh dear, oh dear. And she was that anxious type. She was the kind that was jittery, always on edge, waiting for something to happen. And then there's Tigger. Oh, I love Tigger. Tigger is the bouncing tiger, and he, he spells his name T-I-double-G-R, if you remember. And he didn't care about anything in life either, but he was excitable. He was the, 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 the overly optimistic. Nothing bothered him. Everything was great. And his favorite phrase is, the most wonderful thing about Tigger's is, I'm the only one. He was so confident that he was the only one of a kind like him. This is the guy that just goes through life, the girl that goes through life, just enjoying everything. And then there is Eeyore. Eeyore. Eeyore, he is the Debbie Downer. He is the Karen of the group. And if your name is Karen, I'm so sorry they've pinned that on you, Karen. But that Eeyore is kind of like always looking at the worst situation. Everything is gloomy. I mean, Eeyore can win the lottery, and he'd probably say, I won the lottery, but the government's going to take most of the money, and I'll probably end up bankrupt and a drug addict. That's Eeyore. And some of you are like Winnie. Y'all are just easy going like, just give me food and a nap and I'm happy. Some of you are like Piglet. Man, you're just nervous and you're on edge all the time wondering what's gonna happen. Some of you are like Tigger. Man, you're just bouncing through life, right through and tearing it down. And some of you are like Eeyore. And for the Eeyores here, and if you're with someone, don't look at them right now. <laughs> why am I bringing up this cartoon? Here's why. Today, we're gonna start a study in a book of Ecclesiastes. And when you think of Ecclesiastes, and if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, you would think that God inspired Eeyore to write it. Because it's a book that is filled with heaviness. It's a book that is filled with emptiness. It's a book that is filled with individuals who are trying to find meaning in life, but they keep missing it. And as we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to find from its author some incredible practical truths for our day. And if there is ever a relevant book for our time, it is the book of Ecclesiastes. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take some time to walk through the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Now, in order for us to set this up, you need to know a little bit about the book. So let me give you just a, a, a little kind of um, background information. Ecclesiastes is one of the five wisdom books in the Old Testament. And the wisdom books were the ones that are not narratives and not historical. They're just uh, pieces of information to help us to live a successful life. You've got Proverbs, which is a wisdom book written by Solomon, helping us to understand how to be successful in life. Then you've got the book of Psalms, 
written by Solomon's dad, David, most of them. And that, that is a gut-wrenchingly raw emotion kind of book. And I love that book because when you read and you hear David's heart, I mean, he asks some gut-wrenching questions to God and then he always finds the answer and he is at peace. So he, he struggles through that. A third was the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon is a book, wisdom book, written for the celebration of sex within the bounds of marriage between a man and a woman. I have to say all that these days. And so that is what it's about. In fact, the book was so graphic in its description of sexual intimacy between a man and a woman that little boys in the Jewish culture were not allowed to read the book. It wasn't until they were like teenagers at a certain age could they even begin reading that portion of God's word. Now, can you imagine some little boy sneaking under his dad's bed, pulling out the scroll of Song of Solomon and getting caught? And their dad saying, you do not read that yet. So anyway, that was a wisdom book as well. But there are two other wisdom books, Job and Ecclesiastes. And each of those um, are talking about the difficulties in life, but they're looking at each of those from a different perspective. Let me give you the difference between them. When you come to the book of Job, you find that some calamity is going to happen to this man and at the end of it, he has a totally different perspective. Now, if you remember the story of Job, Job was a very rich, righteous man, godly man. He was, had a great reputation. Everybody loved Job. The devil comes to visit God one day, and he's going to and fro, seeking someone to devour. And God said, have you noticed my servant Job? And Satan says, well, no wonder he serves you. You've given him everything. You've blessed him with everything he could possibly have. And so God says to Satan, okay, I'll allow you to take those things from him to prove that his heart truly is mine. Now, here's what's interesting. Many people think in the cosmic battle, there's, a, there's good versus evil, and sometimes good wins, sometimes evil wins, and they view God and Satan like that, not even at all. Satan is a created being by Almighty God. God is God. Satan is nothing but a little bitty footnote of humanity. And God is in absolute charge of all things. But God gives Satan the opportunity. To, so what does he do? Man, he, he takes everything away in one day. He comes, in, a servant comes to Job and says, listen, the Sabaeans came and they took all your livestock and your servants. I'm the only one left. And while he was talking, another one came and said, fire fell down from heaven and burned up all your camels. And I'm the only servant left. Another person comes and says, hey, the Chaldeans came and what they did was they took all of your sheep and your camels and the other servants and I'm the only one left. And then in the midst of all that, the last one comes and says, all your children, all 10 of them were gathered in one house and God blew through there and every one of them died and I'm the only one left. The only thing Job had left was his wife, which was not a very good prize. And what does she say to him? She said, stop holding on to your integrity and curse God and die. I think Job probably said, Lord, can I have the camels back and you take her? I'll even settle for a cat. That was the Phil amplified version. So what did Job say? 
He says, naked I came from the room and naked I shall return. God gives, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the midst of all the calamity, his view was vertical. His view was beyond the sun. And then we come to Ecclesiastes. And when we get to this book, we see the same kind of pain, the same kind of struggle, the same kind of loss. But the author of the book of Ecclesiastes doesn't look beyond the sun. The view of Ecclesiastes is horizontal and it's under the sun. And the writer of this book writes these things to help us to see, number one, that God has inspired this. And and God has given this to us. And how do we understand life? And what are the dangers if we live our life in the horizontal instead of the vertical? So here's what we're going to do. For the next 12 weeks, we're going to take a chapter a week. And I'm just going to read a few verses and I'll make some comments. Read a few verses, make some comments. Make things very applicable and practical for us. And at the end of every sermon, I'm going to take us back to life not under the sun, but life beyond the sun. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your inspired word in the book of Ecclesiastes. Help us to understand its truth and put it to practice in our lives In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter one. We begin in verse one. Verse one tells us who the author of this book is. And he begins by saying, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, what we need to understand is even though his name is not mentioned, it is Solomon. Because it's the son of David, he is the king of, in Jerusalem. Now, let me help you understand this. Solomon, the wisest man who has ever lived, one of the the wealthiest man at that time on the face of the earth, the most powerful man in the world, living in one of the most powerful nations in the world. I mean, Solomon had it all. He had wealth, he had wisdom, he had resources, he had experiences, he had women, and we'll talk about that next week. And he had every single thing you can imagine. And here's what we need to understand, that when it comes to his resources, you and I will never, 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 never be like him. Never. Because he is so wise and so full of every single resource, this guy has the capital goods to tell us what happens when you live under the sun. And so this is Solomon. Look at verse two. Verse two, we discover his conclusion of the book right in the beginning. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Wow. 29 times he uses this phrase. 29 times, I'm sorry, 39 times he uses the phrase vanity of vanities. And the word vanity literally means just a breath of air, a a, a vapor. It means something that comes and goes. It means meaninglessness. And so what he is saying here is meaninglessness and vanity. This is something that you cannot hold on to and something that will leave you and you cannot 
maintain it. And so when he talks about this, he's saying that it's meaningless. Now, what's meaningless? He says all is meaningless. From his perspective, after examining all the things of humanity, here's what he's saying. Everything is meaningless. Your marriage, meaningless. Your family, meaningless. Your career, meaningless. Your possessions, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, some of you are thinking right now, man, he needs to take a chill pill. Some of you are thinking he just needs a hug. Some of you are thinking, man, I came to this series hoping that we're going to get some encouragement for the new year and I'm going to learn how to be excited and encouraged and you step into this. Why does he say everything is meaningless? Verse three, he tells us why. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Under the sun. Here's why he says all things are meaningless. He says under the sun 29 times in this book. And under the sun literally means a horizontal type of life. It's a life that's being lived by a purely secular worldview. It's a life that's being lived by the five senses that you and I have. Our hearing, our seeing, our smelling, our tasting, and our touching. It's a life that says everything is going to be determined how I experience it according to the five senses. And under the sun means that I'm going to live my life in such a way that I'm going to live by the standards of the world. I'm going to pursue my life with those specific senses, five senses, And I'm going to pursue the things that the world pursues. And there are always six things that the world pursues. Wealth, power, religion, work, friends, and pleasure. And these are the things you're going to do. And he's saying that everything is vanity. If you live your life under the sun, if you live your life strictly by all of your senses then life is going to be meaningless. And what we're going to look at in this series, we got to go beyond the five senses. You and I need to develop a sixth sense. And I'm not talking about seeing dead people. A sixth sense that helps us to develop the kind of faith we need under the sun. And so when he talks about that, that's what he's talking about. And then what he does is when he says that in verse three again, he says, what does he gain? And if you live your life under the sun, you can move constantly from one event to another and you find that you're not making any headway in life. When your life is simply under the sun, there are struggles with that. And let me tell you, when you live your life under the sun, you get stuck doing the same things over and over and over. You know, I I raked my leaves three times this fall and I got to rake them again. How many of you do laundry at home? You got to do laundry. You you did the laundry, but you got to do it again. I rake gumballs and I got to rake those stupid things every single week (laughs) because they keep falling. So here's what Solomon is going to do for the rest of this chapter. He's telling us that everything is vanity when we live life under the sun. When we're living by our five senses, we can never 
find meaningless, meaningfulness. So what does he do the rest? He gives us four things that we need to know. The first thing he tells us is this. When you're living life under the sun, nothing changes. Nothing changes. Look at verses four through seven. Here's what he says. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. What he's saying is when you live life under the sun, you recognize nothing changes. When you're living your life under the sun, when you're living your life from a strictly horizontal by the five senses of your life, then what you're gonna find yourself in is that you're in a circular pattern of life. And we often use that. We talk about life cycles, don't we? We talk about, you know, and, and, and it comes back around. And we talk about, as we have watched Disney, you know, um, the circle of life. And what happens is when you live under the sun, you're really living in a circular way. And it continues on and on and on. And many times people think that I can get out of that. And I'm not going to live my life like that. Matter of fact, I can do some things that are going to change it. But you don't. Your life really is a circle when you live under the sun. And we all have patterns. Let me give you an illustration. You're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to wake up at the time that you wake up normally on Mondays. And then when you wake up, for those of you who drink coffee, you'll make coffee at home and then get dressed and then you'll drive to work. For those of you who don't make coffee at home, you'll get dressed, drive to Starbucks, wait for a long time in a long line, pay $5 for a small cup of coffee that you get every single day the same way. And then what do you do? You drive to work. And when you get to your job, when you get to school, when you get to the shop, you do your job and you work until noon. And then at noon, you go on a break. And what do you do? You go to one of three restaurants and you always order the same thing at those one or three restaurants. What do you do? You go back to work and you work until about three o'clock and three o'clock you're looking at the clock until five o'clock. <laughs> and then you leave work and you think it would be a good idea to work out. But it's only an idea, so you go home. <laughs> and what do you do? You get home, you eat supper, you hang out with your friends or your family, you watch a little television, and then you go to bed. And then what do you do on Tuesday? You wake up, you make your coffee, or you buy your coffee at Starbucks, the same that you got the day before. Now, if you're retired, it's a little different. If you're retired, you wake up whenever you want. You make your coffee, you do some stuff, you eat lunch, take a nap, do some stuff, eat supper, watch Car uh, um, Tucker Carlson on Fox News, and you go to bed. But here's the thing, when you live under the sun, your life is nothing but a circular event that happens over and over and over, and you wonder, where is the meaningness and meaningfulness in my life? So nothing changes. But then he tells us the second thing, nothing is new. Nothing is new. Look at verses eight through 10. All things are full of weariness. 
and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. And then he goes on. Nor the ear filled with hearing. Here's the point that he's making here. Is that whenever you live life under the sun, there's nothing new. This is a picture of a person on a treadmill. And they're running hard. and, and, And they're seeing the same thing. And as they're on the treadmill, their focus is usually only on one or two things if you've ever been on a treadmill. It's on the clock and it's on the distance. Both of which you are always disappointed with when you're running on a treadmill looking at. And the slowest minute in the world is a treadmill minute or a microwave minute. And what's happening is you're looking at the same thing and you are pounding it out and pounding it out and pounding it out. And then what you hear is your own feet in the hum of that treadmill. And you're running, you're getting sweaty, you're you're exerting yourself, you're elevating your heart rate, your pulse, but you're going nowhere. And then he says this in verses nine and 10. He says, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. He said, when you live life under the sun, there's nothing new. It's the same thing. Your pursuits and your weariness from those pursuits hasn't changed for thousands of years. Oh, technology might change, but it's the pursuit of all those things that he's talking about that never changes. The weariness of you chasing after them never changes. It's been from the beginning, it is now. And here's what happens. Some people say, oh, no, no, no. I'm gonna break out of that silly cycle. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna find some things that add meaning to life and I'm gonna prove that I'm not stuck in a circle under the sun So what do we do? We get things. And you know what we do? We attach emotion to it. We attach emotion to something and we think, oh, if I just had that thing, it would make me happy. So you go buy a new cell phone and you don't put the phone in your pocket. You hold it so everybody can see your new cell phone. And somehow you feel happy because of your cell phone. And it's not new. Oh, but it has three cameras on it. So what? The cell phone before it has cameras. Yeah, but, but this one can do all kinds of things. See, this one even brushes my teeth. I don't know, some, you know, but there's nothing new. And then what happens is we think if I can just get this thing or if I can get that thing, then all of a sudden there'll be some emotion attached to it. I feel good about my life and I'm making progress. But let me tell you, trinkets of the world are deceptive tools in thinking that if we had them, we would be happy. If I just had a bigger house, oh, man, I'd be so happy. If I could live in that neighborhood, I would be so happy. If I can drive that car, if I can date that person, if I can marry her, I would be so happy. And what happens is we recognize that there's nothing new. And when we attach emotions to kinds of things of the world and the trinkets of the world, what we end up finding ourselves is we're empty. And nothing, nothing under the sun is new. But then he goes on. Not only is nothing changing, not only is nothing new, but thirdly, nothing lasts. 
Nothing lasts. Look at verse 11. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. Nothing lasts. We forget things. We forget people. We forget events. The things that we think we're going to remember and we're going to hold on to never do last. Now, to be sure, there's certain people in history whose names may be a household name. We can talk about people who have really impacted history, but the overwhelming number of people who have accomplished great things in life, you will not remember. Let me give you an illustration, okay? Do not turn your phones on. Do not try to Google this. I'm gonna ask you some questions. I'm just gonna see if you know on the top of your head. Do you know the name of the person who invented that wonderful technology of Velcro? No. How about this one? Do you know the name of the man who invented the pop top on a soda can? I'm sure that when he invented, he thought, man, people are gonna say my name every time I open this. Do you know who developed the bent plastic straw so you can enjoy that? Well, you can't really enjoy it today because they give you those paper straws and it's a proof that nothing even lasts through that drink even. (laughs) Who won the Super Bowl five years ago? Who was the MVP? Who won the World Series 10 years ago? Who was the VP? Here's one. What is the name of your great, great, great grandfather? Anybody know it? One, one. How about your great, great grandfather? Your great grandfather. I know all of mine. Because in Louisiana, your your grandparents were called, like the men were called Papa. (laughs) And they all had Ortigo as a last name, so I can remember every one of them. But the point is this, nothing lasts. When you're living under the sun and you're caught in that vicious cycle that goes around and around, there's no lasting to it. So nothing changes, nothing is new, nothing lasts, and then it gets worse. Nothing satisfies. When you live life on the horizontal plane, there is no satisfaction. Notice what he says in verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Now he's reminding us of who he is. This is Solomon, the king of Israel. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. He's just giving you his resume and he's basically saying, I have all the resources that if there was any way a person could be satisfied under the sun, I would have found it. And then he says this. He says, verse 16, I have said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. He's saying, I'm smarter than you. I'm wiser than you. I have more money than you. I have more resources than you. 
I have had more women than you can ever imagine. Trust me when I say nothing satisfies. And then he tells us he takes two roads seeking satisfaction. Here's how he says it in verses 17 and 18. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceive that it is also is but striving after the wind For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. What is he saying? He's saying this. I took two ways to try to be satisfied. First of all, I took the highway. I went and hung out with the rich and the famous. I lived life with the rich and the famous. I mean, I went to the opera. I went to all the extravagant parties. I hung out with them in all of these spectacular uh, social events. I went to the ballroom. I have been sipping the finest of wine that you couldn't even imagine. I did everything rich people did. I even played polo. I don't know. But (laughs) what he's saying is he hung out with the rich and the famous and he found no meaning in that. So not only did he go with the rich and the famous, then he hung out with the poor and the aimless. He got a bunch of redneck buddies and they started hanging out together and they started doing things. Man, let me tell you, man, we shot stuff. We burned stuff. We, we went mud riding in the chariots. I was drinking Paps Blue Ribbon with them, dipping skull, playing beer pong, and going to NASCAR races in, no, I don't know about that. But <laughs> So what he's saying is this, I've hung out with the rich and the famous and the poor and the aimless and nothing satisfies, nothing. Everything's vain. Everything's empty under the sun. And here's what's really interesting. People who have a lot of money and who are, are living life high in all of the resources of life, often look down and say, oh, if I could just be simple like that, I would be happy. If I can just be a minimalist, I would be happy. And the minimalists are looking up and saying, oh, if I could just have that house. Man, if I can just have what he or she has, then I will be happy. And when you live life under the sun, under your five senses, you will never be happy. It's all vanity. Some of you are thinking right now, gee, Phil, thanks for this wonderful study (laughs) of encouragement. Some of you are thinking, I brought a friend today because I've been telling him about how uplifting our services are. (laughs) Some of you are loving this message Because you know your wife's going to ask you this week, have you cleaned the garage out? Why? It's vanity. (laughs) Waste of time. I don't need to do the chores. Matter of fact, I'm not going to work tomorrow. No. So what you end up seeing is that under the sun, life is meaningless. So what do we do with this message today? What do we take from this and that we can apply to our life? Let me give you two takeaways. Two takeaways today. Number one, I must honestly evaluate my view of life. 
We have to honestly evaluate our views of life. Am I living a life that is circular in nature? Am I living a life that seems to repeat itself? Am I living my life based upon my five senses? And all I want to pursue is those things that will make me happy. Am I living my life on a horizontal plane with a secular worldview, hoping that if I can just hit the right formula and maybe hit the, the right time, and if I can hit the right chance, then life will have meaning. But you find yourself empty because you're running after the things of the world. You're running after wealth. You're running after power. You're running after religion. Maybe you're running after work or pleasure or friends. And then you're empty. And you have to evaluate that. If you're trying to live your life apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, it will always be meaningless. Always. Because you're running in a horizontal way. And the only way that we can find fulfillment in our life is to live vertically. It is to go to him. Now, believers, listen to me. Some of you started your walk vertically but you've been distracted horizontally. And the joy that you once experienced and the freedom that you once knew seems to be missing because you're no longer going vertically. And the difference between life under the sun and life beyond the sun is life under the sun is cyclical in nature, but life beyond the sun is linear. There's a destination and there's a purpose. The destination is heaven and the purpose is the glory of God. So you have to ask yourself the question today, as a believer, am I running after the trinkets or am I running after the treasure of Jesus? Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it, what? Abundantly. So you have to evaluate your heart today. What are you running after? And where is the freedom that God is calling you to? Here's the second thing we have to do. We have to recognize my satisfaction must be found in Christ. My satisfaction has to be in him, not in the things of the world. Now, let me say something. God is so gracious that he's given us the five senses. Aren't you glad that you can taste? Aren't you glad that you can smell? How many of you lost your taste and smell through COVID? That's not fun. Well, maybe losing some smell might be good, but the taste part is never good when you lose that. And God gives us wealth at his sovereignty. He gives us powers and positions. He does grant us relationship with him. 
He does give us joy in our work and in our relationships with fellowship and the pleasure that he has for us. Those things are good things. But listen carefully. When I take a good thing and I make it an ultimate thing, that becomes my idol and that's what I live for. When I take a good thing and I make it an ultimate thing, that thing becomes my idol and that's what I end up living for. It controls my life. If I live for wealth and I give my whole self to wealth and I do everything that I can earn and build my career, at the end of the life, I have nothing. If I pursue a position and I pursue maybe relationships and I run hard after all of these things driven by the five senses, I'm the guy on the treadmill. And at the end of the day, I will die. They will dress me up, paint my face like a clown and put me in a box. But when you live satisfied in Jesus, listen, money is just a tool and you use it for his glory. Relationships are just opportunities to spread the gospel and you use it for his glory. Religion is a relationship with God. Friends is a fellowship with God. Work is a delight. And pleasure is from the goodness of Almighty God. So how are you living your life? Are you caught up in the mess and the busyness of what our world tells us we need to pursue? Or are you living your life linear, moving towards eternity for the glory of God? I'm gonna close with this passage. The Apostle Paul shares this. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have what? Died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I'm going to go back to this every single week. Under the sun, or beyond the sun. And God is calling us to live beyond the sun. If you're here this morning, if you're listening to me on TV or whatever device you're listening, you can hear my voice. Listen, if you have never given your life to Christ, God is speaking to you today and he's telling you that this life is empty and it will do nothing for you. It will be meaningless. No matter how hard you run, no matter how hard you try, no matter what the goals you set in your life, at the end of your life, there's nothing. But if you would surrender your life to Christ today, you would consider the fact that Jesus came and he died for you on a cross and he rose on the third day and he's alive today and he wants so much more for you than you can even imagine. And he's calling you 
to step past those five senses and step into the sixth sense of faith and trust him as Lord and Savior. Would you do that today? Would you give up the rat race for an eternal race? If you're a believer today, check your heart honestly. Where are you? Do you find yourself often in the horizontal and God is calling you back to the vertical? This is the heart that God has for us. Next week, chapter two, it's an incredible, incredible testimony from Solomon. And it's where the search begins. And we're gonna look at the things he searched for and make those connections even in our own life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this book study. As we begin it, may you condition our hearts even now to be ready for what we'll read and what we will hear from you. Challenge our hearts today. Change our lives today. For your namesake. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.